Here's what happened in sports jersey history on February 5th. Kareem hits a new NBA high. Hines hauls on a big one, and Bob Douglas is honored. And we have our sports jersey take of the day is from historian Joe Ziemba on Billy Pierce. Listen in on more of the great sports history with me and learn more about the uniforms and jerseys that the players wore. All coming up in just a moment. My name's Darren Hayes, and I know you've heard me on the Pigskin Dispatch talking about football history for years. Well, now I'm on a new mission, a quest to find sports history in other sports as well as football by learning through the jerseys and the apparel and the gear that the players wore and the franchises supplied their teams. It's an educational trip, and I'm taking you with me day by day, player by player, uniform by uniform, the Sports Jersey Dispatch. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com. Hello, sports friends. This is Darren Hayes of the Sports Jersey Dispatch, and welcome once again to another edition of the Great Sports Jersey Dispatch Day in History as we talk about some great events in people and players and the uniforms they wore on February 5th in sports history. We're going to start off in the year 1942 on that date, and the Boston Braves obtained the services of left-handed hitting outfielder Tommy Holmes from the Yankees farm system. Holmes were the number one for the Braves that season. In return, the pinstripe New York American League team garnered the rights to number 34, Buddy Hassett, and Gene Moore, who wore number 24 in 1942, but not for the Yankees, but for the Washington Senators. Moore had one of the best seasons hitting in 1936 for his career with the Boston Bees. On May 1st of that season, while facing Pittsburgh Pirates pitcher Wade Hoyt, Moore made Forbes Field history. He had become the first left-handed batter to launch a home run over the stadium's distant left field wall. And it was such a long shot that it was the first also to clear the famous 24-foot high scoreboard out in left field. More than a year later, he would become the first and only player to perform this feat twice at Forbes Field. And if you can uh, ask a lot of people that visited Forbes Field, left field was way, way out there and very hard to get a home run at Forbes Field. Now, February 5th, 1969, we have a name that's been coming up a lot lately in uh, football history headlines on Pixie and Dispatch, as well as on the Sports Jersey Dispatch uh, history headlines here. Vince Lombardi, and on that day in 1969, he became part owner, vice president, general manager, and head coach of NFL's Washington Redskins. You can learn more about that on the pigskindispatch.com website for February 5th. February 5th, 1972, Bob Douglas became the first African-American elected into the Basketball Hall of Fame, according to the website hoopshall.com. Now, Douglas was the father of black professional basketball. He owned and coached the New York Renaissance from 1922 to 1949, according to the, the hoopshall.com article. Though racial discrimination was severe and unrelenting, Douglas kept his team focused. The Wrens barnstormed from Boston to Kansas City and played any team, no matter the color, black or white, that should schedule them, including the original Celtics and the Harlem Globetrotters. They often traveled as far as 200 miles for a game, were barred from many hotels and restaurants, and often slept on the bus, ate cold meals, and frequently played twice on Sundays before returning to their home base. Despite these obstacles, the Wrens became a dominant team, winning over 2,500 games. 
Douglas's astute eye for basketball talent led him to such greats as Charles Tarzan Cooper and Wee Willie Smith. Through Douglas's leadership, the Wrens were virtually unbeatable, winning 88 straight games in the 1932-1933 season. Now, truly an honor. What a great article that is uh, by HoopsHall.com uh, on that website to honor the great Bob Douglas and also him being the first uh, black man to be put into the Basketball Hall of Fame. A very fitting man to uh, receive such an honor. And what a, I mean, 88 straight games and to be playing, you know, the Harlem Globetrotters, the Celtics, and a lot of other teams that they were sweeping across the country. That's a difficult thing to do. And, uh, well, I'm glad we were able to talk to him, remember about him today. I learned a lot about him. Now, February 5th, 1980, Joe Lewis Arena in Detroit. At the 32nd edition of the NHL All-Star Game, the Wales Conference doubled up the Campbell Conference 6-3. to the game's most valuable player was Philadelphia Flyers right wing Reggie Leach, who wore the number 27 that season for the Flyers. February 5, 1989, future Hall of Famer Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, number 33, became the first NBA player to score 38,000 points in his career. The great center did it by scoring 18 points against the New Jersey Nets in a 134-116 victory. And it was just a few weeks before that, all the talk was that uh, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, the great uh, center, all-time scorer, may get benched in favor of some younger players as the Lakers were struggling. But he came on strong at the end and had a, a bunch of double-figure uh, scoring games in a row, including this one where he put 18 and set the record. Now, February 5, 1991, the Los Angeles Kings, number 18, Dave Taylor, becomes the 29th NHL skater to score 1,000 points for his career. The right-handed right-winger of the Kings ended up with a grand total of 1,069 points before his career was over in the NHL. February 5, 1991, radio shock jock Howard Stern kissed New York football giant Leonard Marshall's backside over a bet. Stern lost the wager, claiming the Giants would lose the Super Bowl, thus he had to pucker up on number 70's rear end. The Giants, of course, defeated the Buffalo Bills in Super Bowl 25 that season uh, for the game in question uh, that most people call the wide right game, ending with a missed field goal by Scott Norwood of the Bills. Just a few weeks prior to the big game, though Leonard had perhaps his best game of his career in the league. He registered two sacks four fumbles and two forced fumbles in the NFC Championship game where the Giants had to play the two-time defending Super Bowl champion San Francisco 49ers. In the final stanza of that game, Marshall famously hit 49ers quarterback Joe Montana so hard that he suffered a bruised sternum, bruised stomach, cracked ribs, and a broken hand. Montana was forced to leave that game and would not play another regular season game for almost two years because of the injury suffered in that. It's one of the most bone-crushing hits of all time. And probably uh, another one that's right up there on the list is probably his teammate uh, LT's hit on another quarterback, uh, Joe Theismann, who would also make the Hall of Fame. That game in December of 1992, which was two years after Montana was hit by Leonard, would end up being his last game uh, wearing the number 16 with the San Francisco 49ers for Joe Montana. February 5th, 1995, Aloha Stadium in Honolulu at the NFL Pro Bowl. The AFC beat the NFC 41-13 in a blowout. The MVP of that game was Marshall Falk, who then played for the Indianapolis Colts at running back 
and wore that number 28. February 5th, 2006 at Ford Field in Detroit. The Pittsburgh Steelers outlasted the Seattle Seahawks 21-10 in Super Bowl 40. The game MVP was Pittsburgh's number 86 wideout, Heinz Ward, who caught some key passes, but none larger than a 43-yard strike from fellow wide receiver Antoine Randall L. on a gadget play. February 5th, 2012 at Lucas Oil Stadium in Indianapolis, in Indianapolis, the Super Bowl 46's most valuable player was the New York Giants quarterback number 10 Eli Manning. The New York Giants beat up on the New England Patriots 21-17 in that game. In February 5, 2017 at NRG Stadium in Houston, Super Bowl 51 saw the New England Patriots, uh, they were a little angry maybe from uh, the Giants' defeat, came back and they stole in overtime against the Atlanta Falcons 34-28. The late game heroics of quarterback number 12 Tom Brady of New England earned him the most valuable player award of the game. And uh, you know we can learn more about those Super Bowls we just talked about over on Pigskin Dispatch. We have a full write-up on each of those Super Bowls in our February 5th football history headlines. And now it's time for our Sports Jersey Dispatch uh, take of the day on the jerseys. And we have it from our friend, historian Joe Ziemba, in a sport you may be surprised to hear him talk about. And as Joe Ziemba, a great historian of sports in Chicago, we've heard him talk a lot about football, but he's got some great takes on some baseball today. Uh, Joe Ziemba, welcome back to the Pigpen. Hey, Darren, thank you. And what a welcome surprise to talk about baseball, my first love. I didn't like football as a kid, but baseball was the way to go. And so thanks for the chance to, to bring up some some uh, happy childhood memories with some of these great players from the Chicago area. Well, really? Wow. That's quite a reveal there. I, I hope this doesn't come up at a, a PFRA meeting in the near future. Hey, we won't tell anybody. <laughs> <laughs> All right. It's our little secret. Us and uh, the rest of the people of the world here. So, so what do you got uh, cooking for? Steve? Yeah. I'd like to talk about um, a little left-hander for the Chicago White Sox well, I had a little bit of a personal interaction with as a kid, and that's why it's special to me. His name was Billy Pierce. A lot of people feel he should be in the Hall of Fame. He retired with 211 wins with a lifetime ERA of 3.27, started three all-star games. And he was, when he retired, one of the greatest left-handers, and this is probably in the early 60s, one of the greatest left-handers in baseball history. I know at the time he had uh, 1,999 strikeouts, which was the fifth most by a left-hander when he retired. And uh, in, in the American League, his because uh, he spent a little time with San Francisco, uh, he was ranked ninth in league history with his 1,800-plus strikeouts. So at that time, with his 211 wins, he was so reliable, pitched deep in every game, and probably really known for his battles with Whitey Ford of the New York Yankees. Um, in fact, one of the Yankees, a guy you may have heard of, Joe DiMaggio, talked to Billy Pierce. He said, that little so-and-so is a marvel. So little and all that speed. And I mean speed. He got me out of there on a fastball and, and, and the ninth that was, I'd have to have a telescope to see it. So that's what Joe DiMaggio said about Billy Pierce, who wore number 19 throughout his career. But after he retired... He moved to the little town I lived in called Evergreen Park, Illinois, which is southwest of Chicago. And he put on baseball clinics. 
And he wasn't the kind of guy that would stand in front of a bleacher full of kids and talk five minutes and then say goodbye. He actually got out there on the field with us, uh, told us how to how to throw the ball, gave us tips, and that was the first time I ever talked to a major leaguer. So I was just in awe. And as Joe DiMaggio said, he wasn't that big. He was listed as five foot ten, but looking back now, even at my present height, I don't think Billy Pierce was that tall. But boy, could he throw a speed! And at the time, a lot of kids wanted to be pitchers like Billy Pierce, including myself. My trouble, though, Darren, was when I pitched the batter's bodies would get in the way of my pat and my pitches. I don't know what would cause that. And uh, so a lot of us were also trying to imitate a Cubs pitcher called Teb Abernathy, who threw kind of an underhand sidearm ball that was all the rage of the kids. We all wanted to be like him. You dip your shoulder down and fling it almost underhand like a softball pitcher. So I was throwing the ball around like that at our little clinic with Billy Pierce. And of course, he told me, no, no, no. That's not the way to throw. Your arm won't last. Here's the way to throw. And uh, he also guaranteed that I'd still, even if I did throw like a, a regular pitcher, I'd still be able to hit as many guys uh, that I did throwing like Ted Abernathy. So that was my Billy Pierce story. Hope it made sense. But number 19 was clearly my favorite pitcher when I was growing up. Wow. That, that's a, I'm, I'm not familiar with him. So I, I thank you for uh, educating me on him. Now let, let me, uh, let's get back to your personal pitching with you, you getting those, those batters getting away your pitches. Were you the guy that had like the no hitter, but it was a, uh, you lost 19, nothing. That, that, uh... Yeah, it was like that. I had a little <laughs> trouble with wildness in little league, uh, no runs, 47 walks, 17 hit batsmen. We lose 64 <laughs> to 12. Uh, it was a wide open game, <laughs> <laughs> six figure ERA. <laughs> yes. And I, and I noticed now when I was coaching my own kids, how now there's a limit on how many batters per inning, how many innings and in game. And there's a time limit. I was probably the guy that started that because our games took eh, most of the summer to complete. Thanks, Joe. That was uh, some great insight on a great ball player. And uh, speaking about baseball, that's uh, you know quite the sport for you to be talking about. We appreciate you coming on and telling us about uh, some of your favorites from the game. We'll have some more from that interview on some other great uh, ball players that uh, Joe Ziemba loved to watch when he was in Chicago. Coming up on future episodes, uh, we'd also like to thank uh, besides Joe Ziemba for sharing that that sports jersey take of the day. Uh, we'd like to thank our musicians that uh, provide the music today. We have Gene and Mike uh, Monroe that supplied that entry music with that reggae theme at the beginning and also Jason Neff the song you hear in the background right now and the one you're going to hear in a moment in our closing credits also we could not do it without uh, getting some great statistics and information from places like onthisday.com newspapers.com and the jersey reference I'm sorry the sports reference uh, uh places like uh, baseballreference.com, profootballreference, hockeyreference.com, and basketballreference.com. We thank all of them for all the great information that they provide to everybody. Make sure you check out all those websites and, uh, and see for yourself what great information they all do have. And until tomorrow, everybody, have a great Sports History Day. This penalty kill is almost over. I got to get back out on the ice. But thanks again for joining us for another great edition of Sports Jersey Dispatch Podcast. We'll see you tomorrow.
We invite you to check out our websites, jerseydispatch.com and pigskindispatch.com. Not only see the daily sports history, but to experience the preservation of great events and people that play the games. Find us on Pigskin Dispatch. It's also on social media outlets of Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and don't forget the Pigskin Dispatch YouTube channel. Get all your daily sports history. Pigskin Dispatch is happy to be associated with the Sports History Network, the sports headquarters of yesteryear, found at sportshistorynetwork.com. This podcast is part of the Sports History Network, your headquarters for the yesteryear of your favorite sport. You can learn more at sportshistorynetwork.com.